sheer freedom. The sense of freedom like you've never known is what you experience when you finally begin to ride a bike. <laughs> finally, you're able to go far past and much faster than your little pitter-patter, pitter-patter feet will be able to take you. And as a parent, you, you take your kids out when they're four or five or six and you train them to them themselves be able to ride a bike and you walk alongside of them and then you begin to jog or run alongside of them. Run as best as you can, you know, in your 30s. And you run alongside of them. And then soon, before you know it, you're standing there in the street and you're watching them ride away. And they're happy. They're happy to go and leave. And as parents, even though oftentimes we don't realize it, this is the beginning of training our children to send them out. It's not something that just happens when they graduate college or now when they're like late 20 or 28, you know, and then you finally send them out. No, it's when they're four and five and six, you're beginning to train them up to send them out into the world. And you train them well, we hope, to send them out into the world amongst the wolves. So it is also in our text we see this morning. Jesus Christ has been walking with His disciples, showing them what it is to proclaim the kingdom of God. And here He is. His children, His disciples. He's trained them up. They're still four, five, and six in the maturity of their faith. But already, He's standing there in the street and He is sending them out. Sending them out into the land of darkness to proclaim the kingdom of God. So with that in mind, let's begin and look at our text. It's going to be Matthew chapter 10. We're going to be doing verses 1 through 15. Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. And he called to himself his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The name of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter. Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee. And John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve were sent out. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace rest upon it. But if it, if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. 
Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have your living word, God. And we come to you again and we ask that your spirit through your living word would convict us of our sins, that we would see you in your beauty and your glory, God. I pray that our lives would be changed this morning. That the rest of our lives would be dramatically different than the life that we had even when we woke up this morning, God. And that can only happen through your spirit, God. So we ask that you would reveal yourself to us this very morning. Amen. Brief outline of where we're going to be going throughout this sermon. The main idea that we're going to be driving home and that I want you to see and to, to hold on to and to meditate on over this upcoming week is that as Jesus Christ sent his disciples, so also he sends you. As Jesus Christ sent his disciples, so also he sends you. And we're going to be looking at this in three different ways. The first one is verses 1 through 4. We're going to be looking at the call. Jesus Christ calling his disciples. What does that look like to be called? What else does he give them? How does he equip them for this task? Verses 5 through 10, we're going to be looking at the message. What are these disciples, as they're sent out, what are they proclaiming? What are we to proclaim? They were sent, we are sent, they're proclaiming something. What should we proclaim? So verses 1 through 4, you have the call, verses 5 through 10, the message they're proclaiming. And then finally, verses 11 through 15, I want you to see the weight of judgment. But this is no trifling matter. This is a serious task that God himself has undertook when he sent his son, that Jesus Christ has undertook when he sent his disciples, and he still undertakes when he sends you. And this is no small task, but rather we see that eternity is at hand one way or the other with this gospel of the kingdom of God that we proclaim. So let's go to the first point. I'm return back to the text here. Let me read verses 1 through 4 once again. And he called to him the twelve disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The name of the twelve disciples are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And to put this great call in this this commission in context, let's go back just one verse and see what Adam was preaching on last week. And we see that Jesus Christ has equipped his disciples. He's shown them what the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It shows them what that looks like when he heals lepers and does everything like that. And at the end there, in chapter 9, he says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Next verse. What is Jesus doing? He's sending out laborers to bring into the in the harvest. This is no coincidence here. He's calling them for this great task. And there's this great harvest out there amongst the lost sheep of Israel. But Jesus Christ, could he have done it himself? Yes. Certainly. He's done quite well. Uh, we've been covering the last chapters. Healing lepers, healing the centurion's servant, healing Peter's mother-in-law, Jairus, his daughter, the, the, women who, the woman who is suffering along the way, he, calming storms. No, he's doing quite well. But we see that Jesus Christ is continuing to train his disciples to do this great work. Why? Because Jesus is Christ, his eyes and his ultimate mission is the cross. And you see his eyes are beginning to gaze upon the shame and also the glory that is before him. So he's training his disciples to send them out. That God would get. How much more glory does God get by not just utilizing Jesus Christ's son, but through you and through these disciples, fishermen, zealots, Tax collectors. These same disciples who would soon be abandoning him in the Garden of Gethsemane. These same disciples who stood silent while others called for their Messiah to be crucified. These fallible men who were the scorn of the world. Jesus Christ. Those are the ones he has chosen. Those are the ones he has called to himself that he might send them out. These are the ragamuffins that our Lord is using to proclaim the kingdom of heaven. He's not calling them to, to a better life, but rather He's calling them to a life of submission. Calling them to a life of submission. So no longer are they going to live lives of themselves, but rather, what are they going to be? They're going to be apostles, which has this connotation of one who's, who's been sent You'd often use it in terms of state. So a state would have their embassy set up, their ambassador set up. And that's how was, this same word was used classically. So here is Jesus Christ sending out his 12, the most unlikely, quite frankly, yet the most fortunate, to be representatives of the kingdom of God. And he's, he's calling them, and he's calling them to himself like a great shepherd. He's calling them in and then sending them out. Calling them into protection and sending them out amongst the wolves. The same flow that we have here at this church. We gather together on Sunday morning and then we go out throughout the week. We gather together on Sunday morning and rejoice in the glory of God and go out again throughout the week. It's this ebb and flow of the Christian life, this gathering and scattering, gathering and scattering. But he's not sending these men out, these fishermen, these zealots, these tax collectors. He's not, he's not sending them out in their own frailty, no. How was he sending them outward? 
What does he give them? He gives them authority. Not just authority, but what? Authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. And this, this theme of authority is, is just tied together with the, kingdom of, with the kingdom of heaven that is at hand. So you go to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. What do you see at the end of chapter 7? That the crowds were amazed when he concludes his sermon. The crowds were amazed because he was teaching them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. And then later in chapter 8, the centurion who comes and bows before him. Why is he highly regarded? Because he recognizes what? The authority of Jesus Christ. Go one more chapter later. Chapter 9. Adam preached on this. Jesus Christ heals the paralytics. The paralytic. He says, stand and walk. The paralytic. He stands and he walks off. And what do we see? And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given what? Authority to such men. Jesus Christ, this God-man. So now, here we are in our text and Christ, who has performed all of these miracles that we've just seen over the last couple months as we've been preaching through it, is giving this same authority to his disciples to go forth and declare the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, which has come down and is coming into this kingdom of darkness. He's sending forth his disciples with this same authority. And so he's given it to them. And this, this, this authority, we see, of course, it's not of themselves. But it's authority over what has, we have been in subjection to. Ever since Genesis 3, it's been quite evident that we have no authority. We don't have authority over spirits or disease or affliction. No, we've been in subjection to them. Can we save ourselves from death? No, 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 we can't. Can we save ourselves from sickness? No, we pray to God that He would heal us. And those who are afflicted, well, I, I give bad counsel, I just say stop it, but when, when you have good counsel, what do they do? They point you to Christ in your moments of affliction. So this very thing that we've been in subjection to ever since the fall, now we have authority over, and why? Because it's of Christ, and Christ has given it to his disciples, and he's also given it to you as well. Yet, we see that this calling, and this giving of authority, is not just the solemn tale of Peter and Andrew, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew. No, 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 it's not just that. This is the tale of Scott and Beth, Curtis and Aubrey, Craig, Karen, Adam and Molly, Justin, Brenda. This is your tale as well. If you are in Christ, God has called you, certainly in terms of salvation, but he has also called you to proclaim the kingdom of heaven. 
And your life is no longer your own, just as their lives was no longer their own, but rather your life displays your obedience, either your obedience to sin or your obedience to God and to God alone. As Bonhoeffer wrote, one who believes is obedient and the one who is obedient believes. And this is what you have been called to. All of his disciples, he called them and sent them. All of you, if you are in Christ, you are his disciples. He has called you and he has sent you as well. Joyfully to go forth. Proclaim the kingdom of heaven. Before we move on, I hope you're grasping it. The main idea, as Jesus Christ has sent his disciples, so also has he sent you. Verses 1 to 4, we see that he calls his disciples. He knows them by name. He gives them authority. And now we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11. We're going to be seeing what is this message? Okay, they're sent. What are they to say? What are we to say throughout this upcoming week? Let's go forth and, and just read verses 5 through 10 again. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. For a brief moment, if you would give it to me, I just want to go offline, off the sermon a little bit, and just address this one little issue of this them being sent to Israel and not the Samaritans and not the Gentiles. First, I want us to see that this is a temporary injunction. This is just temporary. This is not descriptive of how they do their missions. You go to chapter 20, he sends these same disciples, minus Judas, sends these same disciples forth saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of what? All nations, all nations. So this is a temporary injunction. Why? Why? Look at Romans 11. You see that the gospel goes to the Jews first. The gospel goes to the Jews first. And as you see in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what did the Jews do? They rejected. The gospel is rejected by the Jews. It goes to the Gentiles. Look at this through Romans 11. The Gentiles get the gospel. They're engrafted in, even though they're foreign, they're engrafted into this Jewish olive tree. They're engrafted in, thus making the Jews what? Jealous. You have these Jews that are jealous, and as Paul says in Romans 11, so that all Israel, ethnic Israel in that context, all Israel, will be saved. So this is a, a, just a temporary injunction, and that's why, that it might go to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, thus filling the promise that 
God gave Abraham in Genesis 12 to be a blessing to all nations. But this is a temporary injunction, and that's made quite clear even as you read the last verses of the book. Back to where we were. So you see these disciples are, are sent out, and this, this motley crew of these ragamuffins are going along the highways and the hedges and going forth. The one who has been sent by his father is now sending them. And this, my friends, is the beauty of the Christian life. This Christ, who we honor and worship and exalt in all that we try to do, he would never have you do anything that he has not done, nor to be anything that he is not. So in our holiness, what do we do? We reflect Christ, the high priest, who is tempted in every way, just as we are, Hebrews 4, yet is without sin. So in your holiness, reflect Christ. In your humble obedience, what do you do? You reflect Christ who humbled himself to the point of death, Philippians 2, humbled himself to the point of death, even death upon a cross. So in our holiness, we reflect Christ. In our humble obedience, we reflect Christ. In being sent, what are we doing? Well, we're reflecting Christ. Jesus Christ, who was sent by the Father. In John 6, he who has come down to do the will of his Father, who has sent him. So in all of our Christian life, we have this great God who is calling us to be as He is. What a marvelous thing. And we go forth, and what is our message? It's the same theme that we've seen throughout this whole book. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. First we see John the Baptist in the Jordan River. Ornately dressed in his camel fur hair and his leather belt. What is he what is he calling them to? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus Christ is in their midst. And he comes and he is baptized by Jesus by John in the Jordan River. And he begins his earthly ministry, fulfilling. Isaiah, and it says that the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And the ministry of Christ began. And what were his first words of his ministry? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we have John the Baptist calling us to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus Christ himself, first words of his ministry that we see in the Gospel of Mark or Matthew, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What do you expect the message of his disciples to be? The kingdom of heaven. That is, the kingdom of heaven, which is the rule and reign of Christ over his creation. All of that is at hand. And ever since Genesis 3, this world has been cursed. But what are you beginning to see? This world that has been in subjection has been groaning and longing and awaiting for the time when the fullness of time would come, when God would send forth His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, 
to come in and undo the curse. And you see the effects of the curse rolling back as the kingdom of heaven comes in, goes forth. So what does this look like? What does this look like? When Matthew, or when Adam is preaching, we see in Matthew chapter 9 that you have the paralytic who is healed and forgiven. So you have a physical representation of a spiritual reality. Same thing we have here. You have a physical representation of a spiritual reality. So what, do you, what does it look like? Well, they're going to heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse lepers and cast out demons. And you see it. They're rolling, rolling back the curse, rolling back the curse. They have the same authority that Jesus Christ had. Just as Jesus Christ was sent, so too are they sent. And now they have the same message. And they also, my friends, they have the same results as well. Why? Can any man tell any other group of men, go forth, start healing and raising, cleansing and casting? No. No. They can do it because it's not of them. We as a church, we grow and we see people come to Christ and become saved. Why? Because it's not of us. This endeavor is not of us, but it is given by the authority of God to do His will, to proclaim His message as we go forth. It's a supernatural work of God to redeem His people whom He has known before the foundation of the world. He has sent them, and He promised His disciples that they will see healing and raising and cleansing and casting. So it is with you. When you're sharing the gospel and you're telling people about the death, the burial, and the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ back to the Father to redeem His people from their sins, what are you expecting to happen? Are you sharing the gospel just so you don't feel guilty? Or are you expecting them to come to life? Perhaps not physically, but spiritually, we expect to see people come from death to life. Those who are dead in their trespasses and sins being made when they are made alive together with Christ. That is what we expect. That's the promise He gave His disciples. You guys have the same authority. You have the same commission. You have the same message. Yet we expect different results. For some reason. As though it was some different God who commissioned us than them. No, no, no. We're promised. The kingdom will go forth through the gospel being proclaimed. From you going up, sharing the gospel. The kingdom of heaven will go forth. Unroll and undo the darkness surrounding us. And we're promised that His word it will not return void. But it will accomplish what God desires and achieve the purpose for which He has sent. So I encourage you this week, share the gospel. Just share the gospel with someone. And I, I know what you're thinking. What do you think the disciples were thinking? They're the same thing. Uh, you want me? Right? You want me 
Me to go? Oh, no, 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 Jesus, I, I, like, three days ago, I was stealing from these people. I was their tax collector. Now you want me to go forth? Yeah, go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven. I actually am more of a, of a fisherman. I just like to cast nets. No, no, no. Go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven. I, well, actually, I, um, I like working in a lab. And I quite frankly, I like working in a lab because I don't want to talk to people. Um, what are you to do? Go proclaim the kingdom of heaven. Yes, work in the lab. Work into the glory of God. And that's, that's actually a, a wonderful gift of, of, that we have in the Reformation is this proper understanding of work from Calvin and Lutheran and Zwingli in the gang. They, they shape the Christian life and they help us realize that the Christian life is that which we see in the garden. And Adam was blessed. And what is he commissioned to do before even the fall? To work and to keep. And so the Christian life is not only godly when you're a pastor or a seminary professor. It's actually more godly because you don't have this false veneer. I'm a pastor. I know there's a false veneer of godliness. You don't have this false veneer, but you're working and keeping, just as Adam was commissioned to do in the garden before the fall. So I encourage you, as you work at Minot, or as you work in the lab, or as you stay home, or as you nurse and you hang piggyback of some flush IV site, proclaim the kingdom of heaven. Just make the dreaded prayer. As we're closing, make the dreaded prayer that God would actually give you an opportunity to share the gospel with someone this week. And I pray, I know God will honor that. Will he not? Will he not honor that? Pray for that to happen. God will honor that. You'll have an opportunity. Some of you will share the gospel, and you'll do it fearlessly, and you'll do it eloquently, and you'll do it very well. And praise be to God. Some of you will see it. No, then you won't. And then you'll come back into safety. Just pray again. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Just pray again. Their, their soul isn't in limbo because you got weak knees at one moment, one moment. No, no, no. Just pray again. God's grace is sufficient. Just pray again. And just know that he is equipped and he has sent a group of zealots. You, you want me to go? I, I, I actually have I've murdered people and I'm trying to overthrow the government. Yeah, everybody knows. Go. Proclaim the kingdom of heaven. You guys have been equipped and called and sent in the same way that they have. And we should expect the same results that they saw. Healing and cleansing. Raising and casting, perhaps not physically, but spiritually, seeing people come from death to life, seeing marriages restored, and wholeness come in the land of brokenness. Main point, I hope it's clear by now. As Jesus Christ has sent his disciples, so also has he sent you. He has called you and equipped you and sent you, and you have the same message that he is. John the Baptist is proclaimed. Jesus Christ is proclaimed. His disciples, that's the same message he has. 
that's the same result we should expect to see people come from death to life. Now, finally, I want us to see the gravity of the task that we have been called to. Let's wrap it up here and finish these verses 11 through 15. Verses 11 through 15. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, the land that was drowned in burning sulfur, the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, than for that town. The gospel of the kingdom goes forth, and there are two reactions. Those who are worthy, and those who do not receive. Those who are worthy are not worthy of their own accord, but rather because of the grace of God, the Spirit working in their hearts, that they might receive the gospel. But those who rejected, what do they do? They rejected on their own accord. Thus, the full weight of God's judgment comes upon them. It can be no other way, really. Do you really think that someone can reject the king of kings within his own kingdom and not suffer the consequences? Of course. Of course they can. That is why we stand before you every week calling you to repent, calling you to turn from your life of sin. Your life of brokenness, which is the fruit of your sin. We call you to repent knowing the weight and the gravity of what is happening here. And for you who are in Christ, I, I hope you see that this is of no little importance. If it was of little importance, it would be of little in consequence. If the gospel of the kingdom was of little importance, it wouldn't matter what people believed. But God will not share His glory with another. And all of creation must have their allegiance to Him and to Him alone, my friends. Even you. And that is why God has equipped us with His authority to go forth and proclaim His kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom in a land that is shrouded in darkness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we pray that you would give us courage to proclaim your kingdom. We, we see these disciples and how, how quickly they betray you, how quickly they are silent, how how quickly they run away. Yet when your spirit comes and indwells them, these same men, they don't run away, no. They're, 
They're torn asunder. They're crucified. They're crucified upside down. God, I, I pray that you would give us this same boldness as our church, that we would understand your kingdom, that we would ourselves tremble in fear before you, that in joy and humble obedience that we would proclaim your kingdom, that others might come from death into life. Amen.